Welcome to Around the Wheel, and my name is Brett Tax. Today, I am with David Hawley from Canada, and we're going to be chatting about a topic that he's come up with. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, David. So thanks for jumping on the show here with me. And so what's our topic today? What are we chatting about? So today, I was very curious to have a conversation with you about complacency, and especially when riding uh, off-road. And um, uh, battling that and some of the uh, areas that that can really get you into trouble. Well, obviously, the topic comes up, there's a story behind it. So why don't you tell me a, a short story and, and give me some perspective? Why, why are we talking about complacency today? Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of my background first and um, how this came about and why it's something that I do uh, think about more today. So I've been riding, I uh, started riding when I was really little, uh, off-road dirt bikes, and then um, uh, stopped, had a family. Uh, I have five kids, um, didn't do any riding for a long time, and then in my mid-30s, started riding off-road again. Uh, just when I say off-road, I was like, just was uh, on dirt, dirt bikes uh -huh. and I uh, did that for about another five years or so. And then, um, started to see, uh, some of the fun of riding uh, enduro bikes or just the on-road off-road. And so I have a, uh, R1200 GS and I bought that and it's much easier just to hop on that in your garage and take off than it is to trailer a dirt bike and take it out to some place and, what have you. So uh, I pretty much now I'm exclusively riding just the uh, enduro bike. And um, so when I, are you seriously calling a GS an enduro bike? Well, uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think of mine as is uh, a dirt wing. I, I, since I don't want to ride a gold wing, I'll just ride a dirt wing. It's really luxurious. And then I take it places it doesn't belong. That is exactly where I'm at too. Yes. So yeah, I certainly can be in places that I know this bike is not supposed to be. And, um, and so when I first started riding, I'll just mainly talk about the GS. You, you get on a gravel road, you're white knuckling it. The bike is kind of swaying back and forth under you. Uh, you're trying to figure out how do you stand up on this thing? The gravel might be fairly, you know, shallow to medium. Uh, it feels like any minute the front tire is going to wipe out. And um, there's zero complacency. I mean, you are attuned to every little thing that's happening. But over time, as the years go by and uh, your skill set, uh, as I would say, just gets a little bit better and increases, um, you are no longer worried about those early days of what I've just described. And then you can get on a road that has a little bit deeper gravel. And it's like, yeah, 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 I know the bike is going to start to shift. It's going to start to move. That's okay. There's no big deal. You ride standing up. You don't even think twice about it much anymore. You're fairly relaxed. You let the bike do most of the moving. And so then now I'm going to fast forward 10 to 12 to 15 years. So I'll get on a dirt road. It's just like I'm going down the highway for the most part. But then um, you'll start to daydream. I'll have some music playing in my uh, helmet. Um, you know, it's maybe a little bit warm. It's hot. It's after lunch. You've just had, you know, big spaghetti dish or something. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, unknown to you, you hit like this huge, deep sand. And the whole front tire will just knife on you. So I live in Canada and I was riding with a bunch of guys out in British Columbia. We were riding on the side of a mountain where it kind of go, the road goes into the mountainside and then comes back out. And it was fairly hard packed. I mean, lots of turns, but very good road. 
And as I come around a corner coming out of the, out of like a tributary to go back on the outside of the mountain, I was going from left to right and just, it turned into a sandbox. Completely unexpected. I almost lost it, but I didn't. But um, I really attribute that to me being complacent in the sense that um, I just wasn't thinking. I'm, I was too relaxed. Um, and I'm not saying I was overconfident. I mean, I, I you, don't try you know, to Dave, ride out. David, but... you know, it's interesting because I, I didn't realize how valid this topic was to me. Because complacency, the way you describe it, and I wasn't sure exactly where you wanted to go. Anybody listening to this podcast will know that I don't pre-study. We don't talk about the outline before we start chatting because I just prefer natural conversation. But what you're saying is so relative to my experiences and where I notice it mostly is as a trainer, because I'm working with people who are in that white knuckle stage. My job is to teach people how to work around that, how to learn it, how to, how to gain the the skills and experience so they don't have that anymore. But at the same time, I am riding so far below my natural pace that it is absolutely exhausting. Although when I'm behind them, I'm watching them and that helps keep me somewhat engaged. After a while, I know the patterns. I know what people are going to struggle with. I can see what the issues are. I can I can catch them and, and get the feedback. And it's just trying to stay alert because I'm, my mind is wandering. I'm, I'm thinking about what they're doing. I'm focused on them, not the trail. I'm thinking about where we need to be, what time we need to be there. All these different things that, that are on my mind. And even traveling has been the same way where when I travel internationally, you, you go to someplace like, like India and you are focused on every moment that you're on that bike. And you come back to the States where we have low speeds, where people follow rules, regardless of what the locals believe compared to the rest of the world, we're very rule focused and people stop when there's red light and they stay between the lines and they, they're somewhere relative to a, a, you know, the posted limit somewhere within 10 to 15 miles per hour, either side of that. And that well, generally within the speed limit up to 15 over, you know, where other countries, you may have a, a difference in speed of 60 miles an hour on a freeway. It's a really is something that we have to to deal with as riders, and we don't think about that from a an experience standpoint. When we're new, we get fatigued, and we can become complacent in in other ways. But as experienced riders, yeah, it's really an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I kind of sometimes think about it's like when you're driving your car and you just put it on uh, the cruise control. You know, it's easy to zone out in a car, uh, and of course, my. Uh, bike has a cruise control as well. Now, uh, going down a highway that's straight, that's paved is one thing, but going down a gravel road uh, that has some bends in it, well, A, I'm not using cruise control, but then even even so, those those potholes can sneak up on you. A worst case, a deer can come out um, if you're riding at dawn or dusk, uh, completely out of the blue. And it's just many times you just aren't aren't thinking about that just because your skill set is such that you're thinking about where am I headed to? Um, you know, this is going to be a really cool mountain to climb or something like that, but I'm not thinking about the road or my surroundings right there. And so, yeah, so that's actually one of the questions I had for you is, have you ever dealt with this before and, or have you had to teach some skills to more experienced riders on suggestions on how to avoid this. 
I do have some suggestions. And although I haven't had to teach this to other writers, Paul and I both have lengthy discussions about this on a fairly regular basis because we're not just adventure riders. We we spent 11 years doing on-road training. We had a 40-hour program that we taught to U.S. military, and we would take them out. And there was only 10 riders. It wasn't a big, massive group. There was three of us on staff, two of us were instructors, very similar to off-road. We're well below our performance capability, and our job is to focus on them. And that was what we came up with is while we're doing this, we can be thinking of other things and where do we go? And what we found is we do what we ask the students to do. Anytime I ride with a a rider on road, off road, on the trail, adventure riders, it doesn't matter. What we describe is you should always have a plan. And that plan is to focus on one specific skill set that you're focused on improving. And, and what that does is allow you to elevate that skill set temporarily. And then, of course, when you change your focus, then that's going to notch back down, but it's not going to notch down to where you started. And so you're always picking one specific thing, not vision, because vision is too big a topic. It can be wide vision. It can be reading the road. It can be, you know, just different elements of vision. Same thing with body position. You don't do body position. You go, what type of body position am I working on? And and so we're always having people do that. And, and after a while, we'll walk up to riders, especially on the training tours. And we've we've already given them. Their brain is full. They have no more room for new information. We just need to get through the rest of the day. And so we'll walk up just go, what's your plan? We're asking is, what is the, the one specific skill set you're focused on? We have them declare that out loud. And then later on, we'll ask them, what were you working on? Because a lot of times what they think they're going to work on isn't what they end up working on. One of the last things I did, because it's kind of different than what the riders were doing, is I, I went down the line, asked everybody, what are you working on? And when they got to me, I went, well, what I'm focused on is why do I do what I do? Meaning when I'm choosing a line, when I'm determining that there's a curve up ahead or what the bank is or what the trail is doing, what specifically am I picking up on so that I can articulate that and share that to the next level? Because a lot of times I don't think about those things because they're so automated. As you just mentioned, the less you're the the less you're focused on them for survival, the less you focus on them. And my thing is, well, can I articulate this? Why am I really picking up on? But having that skill set, something I'm focusing on while riding, keeps me from playing on my phone, playing on my GPS, thinking about you know what I was doing this morning, and completely spacing off, and then missing the fact that there's a deer standing on the side of the road. And, right. And and I think that's the the best thing for me is having something to focus on or choosing not to ride because sometimes that's the choice I have to make. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by choosing not to ride? Well, if I am, if I'm to a point where I know that I, I don't have anything to focus on and I'm just going to sort of wander and my mind starts spread, you know, just sort of drifting off and I can't maintain that focus on the road for whatever reason, that's my time to go. I think I need to take a break or I need to end the day, or maybe today I'm not going to ride. It's just making that decision, that choice to go. This isn't the best time to be on the road. And, and obviously I have to get to town. Maybe, you know, that's where shelter is, or I have to get off the trail. Or in my case, I might be teaching. So I have to ride because it's my job. Right. But also there are times when I walk up to Paul or Paul walks up to me and goes, are, are you off today? I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of a little bit you know, frazzled and my mind's just kind of wandering. He goes, okay. 
And then he steps in and helps cover for that. And other times I see him do the same and say, hey, how's it, how are you feeling today? And I'm like, all right, I got these demos or I, I'll take point or whatever it is. So we work together because we don't have the choice just to say no, or at least it's not a reasonable choice without a lot of inconvenience for people who've, who have come out to, to hang out with us. But those aren't easy decisions to make sometimes to say, I, no, I'm not going to ride around the mountain uh, or I'm not going to ride with this group because I'm going to be bored. And you don't want to offend people. You're just like, this isn't going to be, this isn't fun. So I'm, I'm just going to step out. Exactly. I mean, I know like, for example, I've got a group of probably eight people that I, I know that ride uh, fairly all experienced when we'll do a trip Four will normally join us, for example. And yeah, if there's days that I'm feeling tired or like you've described, it's like, you know, um, I'm just not on today. I just feel a bit off. A lot of times I'll say, I'll just pull the, I'll, I'll pull the rear, which sometimes is nice because then no one's relying on you to have the lead or to make the left or the right turn. It's, it's easy to just watch a taillight that's in front of you. But I definitely like your suggestion about um, you know, what am I working on today? Because there's some days it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just riding. You know, I'm just riding to nowhere. And uh, that's fine. But yeah, as long as you're on your bike, you should be trying to work on something. And, the goal, and for me, the goal is to go, what is it that I'm doing that I can take advantage of? If I'm riding fast, I can choose lines or I can, you know, there's certain riding techniques I can focus on. The bigger challenge for me is when I'm riding slow and I'm behind a rider who's riding at 15 miles per hour and I'm normally riding at 50. You know, that's a, that's, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's I a very significant I, I difference. And then I can go, well, these are great times to do things like vision development. One of the things I I've noticed about riders in general, and anybody listening to this may be able to relate to it. They become so focused on the road in front of them or the trail in front of them. They miss everything on the sides. I, I I've ridden past mountains and asked people, in fact, this is a very common thing. It's not uncommon. When we do the training tours, I'll stop and say, hey, did you guys see Mount Rainier? Check out this picture. It's amazing. I was at the tail and they go, where did you get that picture? I'm like, well, it was directly in front of you as we were making the turn. You just didn't look up. And, you know, deer or vehicles or a campsite. I've, I've been parked on the side of the trail and had people drive directly right past me. And I was within feet of them. I could almost, I could, I, I may not have been able to reach out and touch them, but I certainly could have spit on them. I've had to chase them down, bring it back. They never saw me, but that's where the, sometimes going slower, I can go. My goal is to track both sides of the road and I'll do little games. One of those, and I can do this on the pavement when I'm riding. This is one of the things we used to teach riders to do. It was one of the skill development activities. What we would do is we focus on both sides of the road at the same time. But to do that, you lose focus on what's directly in front of you. That makes people uncomfortable. But what I would do is track trees or milepost signs or mailboxes on both sides and then see how far I can track both sides back without looking left or right at either one. If you look at one, you've already lost the game. Because again, if you look to the left for the deer, the deer is always going to come from the right. We know this. How do we track both sides? How do we get that, that view so that we don't have to look at every rock, every root, every stump that we don't have to look at the right for the deer and the car on the left. But in fact, we can take it all in as one. And then when there's a movement or something that's very specific, then we can change our, our focus from broad to narrow, identify it as a threat or no threat, and then open our vision up immediately again. And that's a skill that is very underdeveloped on 
almost every rider that I come across. No, I would agree. I would agree. But what a great skill to practice when you're going really slow, because what's going to, nothing's going to happen in a hurry in front of you. So that uncomfortableness of having that board vision, all of a sudden, now you're taking advantage of that situation. Right. Right. Look through the trees. You know, I, another one I do for vision is identify the impossibilities to narrow the possibility and try to figure out where the road isn't guarantee where the road's not. So you can narrow down the possibility because just looking at the road directly in front of you doesn't tell you what's going to happen beyond that. And a lot of people say, well, I don't care about that. That's as far as I can see. That's all that matters, except you're processing information. And what gets people in trouble is how quickly that information stacks up on top of them. So the more information you have in the distance is less you have to process immediately. And that's, that's another thing to work on is how much information can you get? How far out can you find that curve or find that logging truck that's coming at you? And these are definitely fun skills to keep me focused on riding and not becoming lazy or, or complacent. And in fact, we're probably talking more about boredom than we are complacency even. Yeah, no, possibly. I mean, I, it makes me think about uh, on a recent trip I was on, again, out in British Columbia, in the interior part of it, um, we uh, came off a ferry and I was in the lead and we were going up a mountainside that had, I can't even tell you how many switchbacks. And so we were going up and there's a switchback to the right, switchback to the left, to the right, to the left. And after a while, they became very monotonous until uh i was going from the left to the right and suddenly i came up on this thing and it was <laughs> i mean it looked like it was 90 degrees i mean it, it wasn't but it was and and i came up way too close to the inside of it and i realized this is ain't gonna happen i mean I, I, I cannot get my bike at this angle but it came up so fast and i don't know maybe part of complacency or monotony, or I just wasn't thinking, or like you just said, I wasn't thinking about what's coming ahead of me. And so I just came to a full stop bike is at some crazy angle and I, it just fell over. And I was like, gosh, I can't believe I came that uh, far to the inside. And I'm just not thinking, I'm just not aware enough of what's going on in my surroundings. Things happen, but, uh, but it's like, I should have been a little more prepared for that. One of the lessons that we're always talking about is just eluded me. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get it back. Paul and I were talking and you were talking about the, oh, I know what it is. One of the lessons that Paul and I always throw out there, we have a lot of, it depends. That's our answer. And well, what tire should I run? Well, it depends. What do you want to do with it? Well, what what's the best bike? Well, that depends. What are you doing with it? But one of the absolute rules that we say you must follow as a rider is never, ever, 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 ever ride faster than the speed you can see and the distance you can stop. Meaning if you can't stop in the distance that you have in front of you, if the world just came to an end at the distance that you have, you should be able to come to a stop and not a panic stop. To add to that, when we're talking on road, my assumption is there is a vehicle that is completely blocking both lanes everywhere, just beyond my view, right at the very edge of my view. And I should be able to stop before I hit it without, without a panic off-road. I always assume that vehicle's coming at me because they're going to be using the middle part of the road. That's what people do on dirt. We do it. They do it. Now you're grill to grill and we have to get around it. But that simple 
message, that simple rule that you must not ride faster than the distance you can see and stop is so easy for people to lose focus on. Part of it is that that complacency of thought, you just get comfortable, nothing's happened, nobody was around that corner, the curve was always there. And most of these curves that people say, well, yeah, it was like a, it was a hairpin, it was a decreasing radius. If you go back, what you'll find is most of those were not. They either were not greater than 90 degrees or they were a constant radius greater than 90 degrees. But the information compounded so fast that it made it feel like a decreasing radius because it's coming on so fast. I think that's one of those activities you go, well, I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to override what I should be doing. So are you always checking yourself? At that distance, can I stop? At that distance, can I stop? Can I see where I can, I, I'm going and could I stop before I get there? Again, one of those activities that I spend time doing as my speeds pick up. Right, right. No, I mean, that's a great, of course, common sense would tell you exactly what you're saying, but uh, reality it's not always the case. We'll have talks with groups over and over. We'll stop, say, hey, how many of you guys realize that? I'll, I'll even stop around a curve because I do safety checks if I'm leading. We don't go that far before I want to see all the heads in the in the row and make sure the tail's still coming And from a safety standpoint. But it's amazing. I'll stop around visible corners and have people come around the corner and just dynamite their brakes and skid and slip. And, and then it's a great learning opportunity to go, all right, what did we just learn from this? And sure enough, everybody said, well, yeah, if I was going fast, if there was a car coming, I would have hit it. And okay, great. So let's put ourselves in check. And within the hour, they're doing it again. And they're not, and it's nothing against my riders that come to me because if anybody comes to me, they've made a very serious point to do that. I mean, I, I only train in so many places. It's not cheap. They're, they want to learn. It's not people who are just blowing this off. But it just shows the human nature that we have and how focused we have to be to change the habits that we develop. Yeah, I know one thing that I do do on pavement is if I ever cross the center line or the yellow line or whatever it is, that's a fail. I mean, in fact, uh, I, I, I take it upon myself as I go around a corner, I will never cross that line. And I do cross that line. I mean, I would like to say rarely, but it happens. And I really kick myself. I'm like, you know what, what did I do wrong that has caused this to happen? Because if there had been a car coming, I mean, who knows, you know? So let's address that one specifically, because that's a passion of mine. Turns out that happens to be the number one fatality of motorcyclists is running wide in corners and either striking fixed objects or uh, striking other vehicles. We like to think that it's the other car's fault. Everybody likes to blame somebody else. Statistics don't support that. It's close. Uh, as far as the multi-vehicle versus single vehicle, but turns out even on the multi-vehicle, we're at fault way more than we like to give credit for. Uh, There's a very, very small percentage of the time that it's truly the other person's fault and there's nothing you could have done about it. But that complacency, that riding faster than we can stop in the distance we can see is exactly that rule. And it applies on the street. This is where I get into talking about trail breaking. I did a video of a partial presentation I did down in New Zealand. And I'm hoping to do an on, well, eventually I will do an on bike, a video or a series of videos on trail braking on how to do that. But the basic premise behind trail braking is simple. We don't commit to what we can't see. So when I come into a corner, a lot of basic rider training still teaches people to finish all your braking before the curve. 
And that's fine if you're in an open parking lot and you can see the other side. That's fine if you have a curve and you can see the rest of the road. But we go through a lot of curves where we don't know what's on the other side. You know, there, there's trees, there's rocks, there's things in the way. And we're supposed to finish our braking for the exit. Well, that's a mistake because we don't have an exit. We don't know if it's 90 degrees. We don't know if it's 270 degrees. We don't know if it's going to coil into a tunnel underneath it at 360 degrees. And that's where the trail braking says, finish your braking or the majority of your braking before the curve. But instead of releasing the brakes and picking that throttle up, hold that brake light on. Don't let the brakes all the way off. Because if you're holding those brakes, then you can follow that curve. And if that curve starts shortening up or feels like it's compressing on you, all you have to do is put a little more pressure into that brake lever so you're always matching the distance you can see. And when it opens up, then you add throttle. And that's a very that's why I'm such a trail braking fan, at least the way that we teach it, you know, Paul and I, because it's focused on vision. Everything we do is about vision and our braking is driven by, I brake based on what I can see. I accelerate based on what I can see. And if you do that, if you can convert to that style of riding, you will never run over a yellow line again, period. And that that's the point. We wanted to have a technique and a process that was foolproof. And if you follow it, it is foolproof. I mean, it makes sense. Yes. I was just going to say th things still happen. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about. It's the complacency that happens. Yeah, exactly. It's not a felt. Yeah. It's not a felt technique. I mean, we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't. So either we have poor decision-making skills or we get complacent and lazy, you know, in, in our minds wander and we space off. And, you know, in that trail breaking, I've been asked, do I trail break off road? And I really had never given it much thought, but I had a, uh, a rider who had a, a mechanical and he, so we, we ended up on the same bike riding out and I was on the front, he was on the back. And as I was riding, anytime I do that, I always talk through everything I'm doing. What am I looking at? What's my throttle doing? What's my clutch doing? Cause it's a great way to learn. I wish more people took that. Uh, if I made it an option, people wouldn't jump on it, but it is such a great way to learn. And he, he comments to me, he says, you're 60% of the way through the corner on a gravel road before your brakes are off. I said, well, yeah. Because I'm braking based on what I can see. And it was a huge epiphany to him that not only could I use the brakes while the bike was in a corner, but that, that I did it fairly commonly. Any place that was a blind curve, I wasn't committing because if I go from off brakes and there's a vehicle on the other side, now I'm snatching for the brakes. I have poor application. I don't have good speed control. And it, it really is something that can be applied both pavement and street. Exactly. I'm sure every person that is out there that has any experience on a bike knows you're going around a corner. It's just a nice, sunny, blue sky day. And all of a sudden there's that pickup truck <laughs> just out of the blue. And it's like, oh my gosh. Or, or massive potholes or gravel or a rock slide. Or, I mean, geez, there's so many things we can put out there that it shouldn't be something that should ever surprise us because it's it's just not something that should be a surprise. <laughs> there's There's so many scenarios we could come up with. You know, David, this was a really fun topic because I, again, it did, it did not go where I thought we were going to go. And it is so relative to me personally. And I think it's very relative to riders of any level of riding, whether they're experienced or, or inexperienced, because, you know, that complacency can come from new riders as well, because, you know, that that's driven by 
fatigue. You know, if they're white knuckled, as you mentioned, and they're trying to stand and they're nervous about that front end, you know, moving around in the gravel, then eventually their focus is going to diminish. You can only stay hyper-focused for so long. And then we find it, we fall into the same exact issues. So certainly, you know, to kind of close up on, on my takeaways on this is we need to find ways to stay focused and we need to find drills or activities or, or something that allows us to stay attentive to what's going on. And if we find ourselves so fatigued and so exhausted that we're not able to maintain that focus, we need to stop. If we are really that good of a rider and we're just that bored <laughs> that, that we can't maintain focus, then we also need to stop and help ourselves recenter and allow that boredom to settle down and then continue on. Even if all you do is go, hey, and I've done this personally many times where I'm getting at the end of my fatigue level, I'm riding with a rider that's a lot slower. We're not in training. And I just go, you ride. And I let them ride a distance. I get on the bike. I ride up. I pass them. I get in front of them. I stop. I wait. They come up past me. They continue riding. I start putting gaps in so I can ride the speed I need to ride so that I can stay focused and not become complacent as a rider. So that's kind of my takeaways. What did you get out of this? No, I, uh, well, I really appreciated your thought about every day when you go out, have a skill or something that you're going to work on and focus on that, uh, whatever that might be. I really, uh, th- I think that's very, very a good suggestion. And then also, uh, you know, being able to look to the left and the right of the road at the same time. And um, that was very helpful. And especially at slow speeds. I mean, riding at slow speeds can be just as just as tactical as riding at high speeds. And so I think that's also extremely helpful as well. So I found your suggestions quite, quite good. And I really do appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, we, uh, Dave and I both appreciate that all of you are listening to this podcast and we hope that you stuck around all the way to the end. If you'd like to support this podcast and the videos that I put out there, then feel free to join me on Patreon. That's a way to keep this stuff going. And if you haven't checked out the videos then certainly jump on YouTube and, and just look it up by name. We appreciate it. Please stay in tune. This is all about you. The guests on this channel are almost always just the average rider, just like all of you, because that's where we get to learn the most is from other people. Thanks again, David. Until next time, everybody, make sure you smile while you ride because attitude matters.